Okay, can you hear me all right? Bless you. Good morning, everyone. It's just great to be together in the presence of God. I hope you had a great Christmas. Seems quite a long way away now, doesn't it? <laughs> but just tremendous to be together here at the beginning, really, of a, uh, of a new year and excited for everything that is ahead of us. It's a great time to be alive. God is doing amazing things around the world. And, uh, you know, just, just fabulous. So we've already begun our, our traveling. We had uh, about 80 evangelists all together just on Friday. Uh, just such a strong sense of God's presence. Just, just filling the place. You know, there's lots of nations. We'll be doing missions in, uh, in this year. And uh, some of our team just gone off to Argentina. Some have gone off to Rwanda. And I'll go off to Rwanda on, on uh, Monday. Um, you know, for myself, I leave here today off to the Isle of Man. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then from there down to the south to do some ministry there. And some of our friends off to Derby. And yeah, we're all over the place doing, doing mission work, sharing the gospel with people. And this year is a very special year for Solihull. Because this year we're going to be taking the good news of Jesus uh, you know, out in, in mission to Solihull. And uh, we're just coming alongside you to stand with you in getting the good news of Jesus out to, out to the beautiful people of Solihull. It's good news. Amen. Jesus is good news. Everywhere that we go, everywhere that Jesus is shared with people and people respond, lives are transformed. And so it's uh, fabulous. I've personally just come back from, uh, from Belgium and we had a great time over there. Actually just working with a small church, church of only about 60 people. And, uh, but, uh, you know, a number of folks got saved over the time. And, you know, I, I love doing the, the large gospel crusades where you see thousands and thousands come to the Lord. You know, we've done lots of those over the years. Those are very exciting times. The bigger events and, and church events and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that always excites me the most is just things that happen spontaneously in life. Just in the day-to-day, -day. it's so important. Jesus has called us to be witnesses for him in the day-to-day -day reality of life, not just only in special events. And, uh, and for us, we, we had some, you know, some special events set up in Belgium. They were great times down, uh, around Brussels and Bruges and, and that sort of area. Um, but when we came into Bruges, we, um, we just popped in. You know, it was just that time of day. We popped in for a coffee in a restaurant. And uh, we were sitting there just enjoying a restaurant, uh, just enjoying coffee in a restaurant. And as we were sitting there chatting, um, you know, we came to the end of our coffee and, and the pastor just went to settle up. And he's talking to the lady who is the, the manager of the place. And uh, I just leant back on my seat and looked over at her. And you know, there is a connection. When you're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a connection between what you see with your eyes and what the Holy Spirit tells you on the inside. And so I just leaned over and I looked at her and the Holy Spirit suddenly said to me inside, um, that lady's got problems in her joints. So I said, okay. So, so anyway, I, I just kind of sauntered up and uh, went and just said to her while he's finishing off paying the bill, I said, I said, lovely to meet you. I'm from England. And she, uh, she liked the English accent. So we started chatting. And uh, then I said, uh, can I just ask you? I said, this may seem a little strange. I, I appreciate that. I said, but um, can I ask you if you've got any problems with your joints? And she said to me, uh, she said, I've got terrible problems with my joints all over. I'm in terrible pain. I said, well, she said, why do you ask? I said, well, I said, uh, 
truth about it is, is that God spoke to me about you. And I, I know he's enthroned and above everything and he's very big and he's very busy. But the amazing thing is he's got time for you. And right now, actually, he wants to heal you. And that's why he told me. I said, I'm a pastor from England and we do pray for a lot of people and see them healed. I said, it's the only possibility I could pray for you. She said, she looked at me for a moment and she said, uh, well, that would be great. I said, well, come on, let's do it. So I took hold of her hands and prayed for her there. And then, well, she was really touched by the Lord. The next thing I know, she's on the phone and she's phoning up her, uh, her daughter and her, her daughter's boyfriend, who both got physical problems. She says, you need to come down here to the restaurant. There's a man from England and he's praying and, and I've just been touched and healed and, 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 you know, just come. And so they said, well, we can't get down for an hour and a half. So she said, that's fine. And so she and said to us, should you be here in an hour and a half? I said, fine, we'll go and have a walk around Bruges and see you shortly. So we come back an hour and a half later and they turn up. So I sit down with a guy who's had a kind of stroke. He's, it seems far too young for that kind of thing. He's only about 35. But he's there, he can barely move his arm and his fingers. He sits at the table with me. So I sit over there and I said, uh, let me shake your hand. What's your name? He told me. I said, uh, so tell me, what can we do to help you today? So he tells me his condition and I said, um, listen. You know, there's a God in heaven who loves you and nothing's impossible with him. I said, uh, do you believe in Jesus? He said, oh, I, I believe in a, in a variety of Jesus, a type of Jesus. I see there's only one type, you know. <laughs> I said, so, so here we got chatting and he said, look, I'm a Muslim. I don't believe in that stuff. I said, well, he loves you just the same. I said, so look, I tell you what, I said, um, I explained to him some of the differences between Allah and Muhammad and Jesus and, and all of that. And we talked a little. And then after I said, look, you know, you just chew over that for a minute. I said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, whether or not you believe in Jesus, because I do. And, and, uh, and that's all it takes for you right now. So I said, uh, so I, Jesus said, if I believe, when I, as a believer, when I lay hands on you, not whether you believe, but whether I believe as a believer. So, so I'm going to lay hands on you and I do believe and Jesus will touch you. So I said, how about it? So I just put my hand on him, start to pray. And suddenly, you know, from this resistant Islamic kind of position sitting there, the Spirit of God tangibly just fell on him with such tangible love. The love and the power of the Spirit all at once. You know, everything that God does is, is characterized by his love. God is love and God is power. It's not just that God is powerful and has all the ability, but actually doesn't really care much to help you. Or that he really cares and really loves, but has no power to do anything about it. He is total love, total power. And that's what our God is like. And so I put my hands and I'm praying for him. He begins to sob and sob and sob. He can't stop and he just starts looking up at me and, he, and he's just, I mean, you know, I don't want to be, uh, you know, what can I say? Well, snot and everything. It's all coming out, you know. And he's just there, tears and water and everything. He's just pouring out and then he's looking up at me and he's just saying, what is this? You know, I, said, I said, oh, that's Jesus. You know, the one you say you don't believe in, you know. But uh, anyway, we're, we're talking about this, but he's just, the Spirit of God keeps coming again and again and again until this goes on for 10, 15 minutes. He's weeping and weeping. And then after I said, do you believe in him now? He said, I do, I do. He says, I can't believe, what's this weight that's lifted off me? What's this shame that has gone? this I do believe in him so do you believe he's the son of God not just a prophet he said I do do you believe he died for your sins I do do you believe he rose from the dead that's the big one he said I do he said great you can be saved take my hand and then he gave his life to Jesus there and then and then suddenly his fingers start moving his arms starts getting free 
And the wonderful thing is, is that then his girlfriend comes over. She says, what's going on? I didn't have to tell him, didn't have to initiate it. He just turned to her and he said, I feel so amazing. He said, I've met with Jesus. I believe in him and I want you to have what I've got. I listened and she said, well, what does that mean? I said, let me tell you. And then we were in there. She gave her life to Jesus. Then the mama comes over. She gives her life to Jesus. And then they all turn up together with the father and with the, daughter, with the granddaughter, who's in her teens, at church the next day on the, Saturday, on the Sunday morning. And they turned up and it was amazing that the, the grandfather, he was the owner of the restaurant and he was quite a kind of burly business type. And he walked in there and the first words he said to the pastor was, I don't believe in this Jesus rubbish. I says, I'm just here because of my wife and, and, and that to bring them along here. So the pastor, well, lovely to meet you too. I said, come on and take a seat. And he sat down and, but you know, at the end of, within just a matter of 10 minutes or so, he's getting stuck into the Bible and on a, I told them all to get into U version on their smartphones and they could follow me. And you know, we were doing that and then I preached the gospel, gave the appeal, the whole family, all the hands went up. And the guy comes to me, it comes to the pastor at the end, he says, you know, I said I didn't believe this Jesus stuff, but you know, within 10 minutes, he said, hearing all these testimonies and seeing the reality, he said, I've seen enough. I believe. That's it. And it's just wonderful. The whole family went, saved, touched by God. But this is our Jesus. And I, and I just wanted to say to you, you know, um, I started sharing the gospel like this when I was very young. I was 14, 15 years old. And, uh, and you know, can I just say England's a very open country for the gospel. It really is a very open country. If you don't talk much to people about Jesus, you won't know that. <laughs> so can I just tell you, that's the truth. If you don't tell, talk to people about Jesus very much, you, you won't know that. And, and it's always one of the biggest mistakes that pastors make. I, I don't mean this pastor, of course, but, I mean, but pastors in general. A big mistake that many pastors make and many Christians make is that they, they form their view of the appetite for Jesus Christ in our nation and in their community by what comes through the door. By how many people come through the door. But you know, it's a big thing for people to come through a door into a place of people they don't know and into a different culture, a different atmosphere, to a church. And, you know, I've had kids. I've talked to the kids. I remember one time being down on the Isle of Wight, and I'd been booked up there to do an evangelistic healing service. I, I turned up. It was a huge Anglican church. And, you know, when I turned up, the place was packed to the, you know, to the, to right to the back there. There was standing room only, and uh, hundreds of people there. But, you know, as I'd walked down the high street to that church that day, I saw a bunch of about 30 young kids in their teens, sitting there, just, you know, just hanging around, playing on their phones and messing about. And uh, anyway, so I just took note of that and I went on into the church. And when I got into the church there, I found it was just packed full of everybody. So I had this sneaky suspicion because they didn't have anybody to lead worship there that day. So, so I took a guitar and led the worship. And, and you know, you, as an evangelist, you can always tell whether there's any non-Christians there. You just look for all the hands and all the expressions, you know. And so, uh, so most non-Christians don't do this, you know, so, um, in, in singing. So anyway, I looked around. and So I just, uh, and I thought just to confirm it, this is another evangelist trick to find out what's going 
going on in the house. I just said, uh, how many of you know and love the Lord Jesus today? And almost every hand except one in the building went up. So I said, well, that's fantastic. So now I know who doesn't know the Lord yet. I said, so madam over there, would you like to know Jesus? He loved you. He gave his life for you. Would you? She said, yes, please. I said, great. Will your friend next to you lead her to the Lord? This is how you do it. Pray this prayer. And so she did that. I said, that's great. Fantastic. He said, now, I said, I was invited down here to do an evangelistic service and none of you brought anyone. So I said, so I want to do my duty. I said, uh, I came down here to preach the gospel, not just to keep the saints happy. So I said, so I'm going out there. I saw 30 unsaved kids down there. And uh, so I'm going out of the church down there, just down the high street, and just to talk to these kids. Anybody want to follow me? Well, the whole place went, whew. So I said, well, I'm going. So I just got off the pulpit and I went outside when I left the building. And as I, I just got to the door, I said, is anyone coming? Anybody? Anybody want to tell the world about Jesus? Well, about three ladies raised their hands and said, we'll come. I said, God bless you. It's fantastic. And as I just opened the door for them, I looked back and said, for goodness sake, where are the men? <laughs> and then walked out there. Nothing sexist about that. I just think men should lead things. I think women should as well, but I'm just saying, guys, it's inbred in you. You ought to step up to the mark. So anyway, we went there and, uh, you know, I can remember, it was quite hilarious because the teens can be quite funny. Uh, and I had an invite to the meeting and I walked up to the first one. He seemed to be the guy who was the most vocal one. And I walked up to him and said, hi there. I said, have you heard about this meeting being put on specially for you? He looked at him and said, no, he didn't know about that. I said, well, terrible shame about that. Sorry about that. I said, but um, anyway, look, it's, uh, there's 300 people in there waiting for you guys. And you're not there. <laughs> so they said, really? I said, yeah, absolutely. And then suddenly he saw it was my face on the thing. He said, that's you. I said, that's you. I said, that's right. And then he looked at the time. It said 7.30. It's now 8 o'clock. He said, you're late. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. I said, but the reason I'm late, I said, is because actually Jesus did most of his uh, telling people about the good news of, God, of God's kingdom and all that and, and healing people and setting them free. He, he did all of those miracles, you see, out here amongst ordinary people, not, not so many in, in church buildings. So, see, that's where the greatest amount of miracles happen. So I'm just following Jesus, you see, by coming out here to you guys. I said, yeah, but you're booked to do the meeting. I said, I know, but because you weren't there, I said, I had to come and get you. And then they looked at me and they all began, and some of them, they just, they looked down, there's a bit of a look of shame, and they said, they wouldn't want us in there. I said, we're not good enough for them. I said to them, I'm so sorry if we have projected that image on you. I said, you are deeply loved and dearly missed. I said, um, we'd love to have you there. I said, uh, why don't you come? And then one of them just said, well, we'll we go in with you. And I said, well, fine. Come on then, guys. Let's go. Well, I felt, like, I felt like the Pied Piper, you know, bringing them all into church. But as we came through the doors, I'll never forget it because it was like a, uh, you know, he was a church with all the church culture and here were these kids who had no church upbringing or culture at all. And as they walked in, they began to sing and, and do all this and they were shouting at the top of this, oh, happy day, and doing all this kind of stuff, you know. So I told them, hey, listen, you got five, so I just want you to take some seats down here. I said, just give me five minutes, just five minutes, that's all. I said, if after five minutes you don't like it, that's fine, you can go, no pressure. I said, but give me five minutes. You need to hear right now the most important thing you've ever heard in your life. 
I was only two minutes into the message of the gospel. They start getting antsy. So I said, Holy Spirit, I need something quickly. And the Holy Spirit said to me, straight away, he gave me a picture of a guy falling off a bike, a motorbike, and uh, damaging his, uh, his left knee and his left leg and having metal put into it and to all that kind of stuff. So I just suddenly went down amongst them and said, right, one of you guys down here said, you had a motorbike accident, it's your left knee down your left leg, you got metal in it. I said, who is it? I said, this guy, he said, look, they look at each other and said, it's me. I said, uh, right, well, come out here for a minute. I said, uh, Jesus is going to heal you. So he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, just stand there. I said, I put my hand on his knees. He says, what's that heat going into my knee? I said, don't worry, heat's good. I said, that's Jesus. Let's just pray. Now have a jump up and down and see what it's like. And he got totally healed. And he turned to all the other kids. He said, it's real, it's real. Well, at that moment, three of the young girls burst into tears and ran to the back. Some of the old ladies came up there, put their arms around them and led them to Jesus. And then, you know, then... Suddenly, this church that had no youth group suddenly had a youth group with 30 kids on their hands. They all gave their life to Jesus there and then. That's fantastic. Well, that's our Jesus. Well, look, what we want to do in the Impact Week, I want to say this to you, in the Impact Week, we want to um, help equip you guys to share Jesus with people in your day-to-day living. We want to help you Live in the fullness of who you are in Christ. Knowing the Father who loves you. Knowing your true identity as a believer in Jesus. Knowing the freedom you have in Him. The power of the Spirit that is yours to move in. The Holy Spirit didn't come into our life just to be there as a kind of spiritual hitchhiker through life. (laughs) He came to be our counsellor. He came to be our helper. He came to teach us and to guide us into all truth. He was sent by the Father so that we could be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus in our lives. To empower us so that we would not just speak and talk about Jesus, that we would just minister to people in word only, but that we would have the power of the Spirit, bringing conviction, helping us to pray effectively. To see miracles and lives changed. To know what God is saying and what God is doing and to cooperate with Him. You know, we've been running these impact weeks for 20 years. All around the world, thousands of people have been through them. I'm I'm not kidding when I tell you this. This is the reality. These are the stats, okay, of the people who've gone through it. We have seen it, I would say, 95% of everyone who has gone through them, has, has come through it, started the week having either led no one to Christ in their life or very few to Jesus in their life, having barely seen any miracles at all or never seen anyone healed, never cast out a demon to see someone set free, never ministered in prophecy or words of knowledge or that kind of area. And literally within three, four days, they've been doing all of that. It it, it does what it says on the tin. Now the thing about it is, let me just say this, it is one of these things, it is just three, four sessions a day, lots of teach and do, and you'll get activated. You'll just be under truth being preached to you all the time, and then the Holy Spirit coming, touching your life, helping you renew the mind, restore the soul. Sometimes the things that go under the radar in, in weekly church, you know, We're all very good at putting on the church face. Please don't be offended by that. 
It's just the way it is sometimes. I've been a pastor and an evangelist, and I know what it's like. I've been there myself. I remember as a teenager and some of the sins that were in my life, I, I can remember going to church and hiding behind the biggest fellow I probably could, just hoping that the, the preacher didn't have x-ray eyes, you know. <laughs> but the truth is, we all need to come clear with the Lord. And I, I want to encourage you today. If you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn with me to 1 Peter 1. It's where we're going to start today. I'm halfway into my preach, but um, let me go for this. 1 Peter 1. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet booked onto the Impact Week, to get booked onto the Impact Week. And listen, street work, by the way, is not the only way of doing evangelism. It's probably less than 5% of what I do in ministry. It really is. But I do a lot of evangelism in my day-to-day life. I do, you know, we encourage people that wherever you are, whether you're at school, whether you're at college, whether you're at work, you know, down your street, whatever, just reach out to people, love people. You know, you're in evangelism, you're always either sowing a seed or you're watering it or you're reaping. But, you know, we all are involved, every single one of us. But we've got to learn to conquer the fears and conquer all of the negative stuff, get filled with God's love and start thinking more about others than ourselves. And just focus on the wonder of what Jesus has done for us as that beautiful song was teaching us. Wasn't that a gorgeous song from Hillsong's amazing song of truth of the gospel? Well, let's just read these, uh, these wonderful verses together. Father, I just pray as we read this, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. I pray, Father, you will touch every one of our lives. And Lord, that you will transform us. Father, that we will not just carry on living our lives like the world, and uh, Father, but just come along on a Sunday or go to a Bible study or whatever. But Father, we don't really get involved in your purpose. Father God, we want to walk hand in hand with you this year, seeing lives transformed through our lives. So Father, we just surrender afresh to you. I do pray, Lord, that not one person will leave this place today without the joy of your forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. And I pray, Father, too, that you will confirm your word, touch and change every life. I pray let each of us, Lord, again respond to you, to your great call to, Lord, be those who who are responders to Jesus, those who take the good news of Jesus to the world and see you transform lives through us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at this wonderful promise, a wonderful scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want you to really focus on those words, aimless conduct. Aimless conduct. A Christian should never be someone who lives without an aim, without a vision for their life. God has called us into the vision of Christ for the world. And the vision of Christ for the world is its salvation, is to save everyone. His will and desire is that none perish, but that all come to repentance. That's his desire. But the message is going out through the church. And so we are the ones that he is depending on 
in, and the power of the Holy Spirit, us working with Him and Him working with us to get the message out to people. And people generally are very open in our own country. But there's not as many believers as there should be who are sharing Jesus regularly with people. And that's the real issue. That's the real key. So I wanted to encourage us to do this. The Bible says we were redeemed. That word literally translated means to be delivered by means of sacrifice. So Jesus paid with his own blood the price necessary for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. That means that Satan now has no legal hold upon our lives and we can walk in total freedom through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this is what the gospel is all about. And we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. And then he says this remarkable thing, that we were not just redeemed from sin, but we were redeemed from an aimless life. You know, many people just live their lives. Just, it's just about their family, and it's just about their job. And that's all it is. But when the family has gone, and when the job is no longer there, so many men suffer with depression when their job is gone. Suddenly their relationships fall apart because they get older and they suddenly realize all their relationships are built around work. And what's it all about? When God created man, He created him with a, in His own image with a Savior, to salvation, a relationship of faith in God. He created him with a community, Eve, his wife, and he created him with a job to tend the garden. If any of those things go wrong in a person's life, things start going wrong. Because we were created to know God and walk with him. We were created to have community around us and not just be by ourselves. And we were created to work. But when those things are taken away from you, when things go wrong in that, something goes wrong in people's lives. And I want to say is God did not create you for an aimless life, but a life of purpose. I want to talk to you today about this subject. You are anointed for purpose. You are anointed by God purpose. Now that word anointed is a Bible term. We don't hear it a lot today. We heard about the, the coronation is about the only time you hear about it. You know, when, uh, when the queen was put into her office as the queen and the head of state and, and was anointed to do that. But it's a really, it's a Bible word. And you know, it, originally in the Old Testament, the anointing oil was very holy. It was very sacred. It was made of particular spices and herbs and, and oils. And, and then this, this special oil that was created was to be used for putting into holy office, into purpose. It was for anointing priests for their service, anointing kings for their office, and anointing prophets for their office. It set them apart for divine purpose. And the Spirit of God would come upon people when that anointing oil was put upon them to empower them for the duty, the responsibility, the authority that God was giving them. Amen. And so the Bible talks about the anointing. Sometimes, you know, in, we see in the Gospels, Jesus sent out the disciples and they anointed the sick. Luke records this. So they went out everywhere. They anointed the sick with oil and healed them and cast out many demons. We find that um, 
That James 5 says that the elders can anoint with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. There are these anointings. But actually the, spirit, uh, the Bible talks about the Spirit of God coming upon people, whether there is actual practically physical oil put on them or not. But it's referred to as being the time when the Spirit of God comes upon us and empowers us to do things in advancing the kingdom of God. So the Scripture says, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship. We've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God, for we are His workmanship. That word workmanship is poema in the Greek. It means poem or, you know, the, the Lord's love letter to the world. We are living letters of Christ to the world. Amen. We're His masterpiece of art. And then he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Now look, we are not saved by good works. However good you are and however, you know, however much you read the Bible, you pray, you help people, you seek to live a decent life, it doesn't make you acceptable to God. You are acceptable to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone, through his sacrifice for you on the cross and his resurrection. He died in your place. He's risen from the dead. He's Lord. When you put your faith in him and what he did for you, you're made acceptable before God. So that's God's good work that you're saved by. But he did save you unto good works. He didn't save you just to sit on a cloud and pluck a harbor or just to go to meetings where you're touched by God and you're blessed and you have a wonderful time. He set you apart for divine purpose. He has good works for you to walk in. You know, I'm a PK. You know what a PK is? It's a pastor's kid. My dad was a pastor and a a successful businessman as well. You can be both. But I... uh, So my dad was a pastor. He always used to say this to me. He said, John, I pray every day that the Lord will not let me miss one good work he has ordained for my life. That's a good prayer to pray because God has a plan for your life. He has a book about your life. Psalm 139 says that. Amen. You remember the old TV program, This Is Your Life? (laughs) There's one of those books going on all about you. One day there's going to be a heavenly, this is your life. I wonder what will be in the book. Aren't you glad some of the things will be blotted out? (laughs) But will there be things that actually God wanted you to step into? But through fear or shame, you pull back from them. Or because of unbelief or whatever. God is calling you today into divine purpose. And he's anointing you for it. The scripture is clear. We've been saved to be a holy, the scripture says, a holy people, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. You know, people talk about, some believers are saying, cool, they're on fire. What they mean is, they're zealous. They're passionate. You know, it's the word passion we tend to use more in today's world rather than the word zeal. But the Bible word is zeal. And the Bible commands us in Romans as believers always to be zealous for good works, never flagging in zeal. You know, zeal is not an end in itself. We don't aim to be passionate for the sake of being passionate. You know, I hear a lot of youth ministries say, come on, guys, we just want to be passionate for Jesus. It all sounds great. But if all it is is emotion, it'll fizzle out. 
passion is rooted in eternal truths and in the reality of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. When you really get hold of that, you'll be passionate. It's a side effect. It's not the main deal. But let me just say this to us all. God has called you and me for good works and called us to be zealous for them. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We are Christians, Christians. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, tells us that the believers or the followers of the way, Jesus, were first called Christians, Christians in Antioch. Because the people of Antioch said they live like Jesus, they talk like Jesus, they love people like Jesus, they do miracles like Jesus. Who do they think they are? They're just little Christs, little anointed ones. It was used as a term of derision. Can I say, could people honestly look at your life today? Would you be guilty as charged? (laughs) Could they recognize you're a follower of Jesus? You may have heard me say this before, but I can remember years ago when we were all moving from snail mail to email, <laughs> and I was a reluctant convert. <laughs> I like writing. But everybody in the ministry was going into the internet and email and all this stuff, so I thought, oh, I've got to do it. And so I got myself on a computer course. And I went along to this computer course, and there were lots of people there, a Pittman's thing down in Surrey. And so I went along, and I... Every day I thought to myself, well, they've all paid to be here. I better behave myself and not preach. <laughs> but the reality is, I, sometimes I can't help myself. So I, I, I went in there and I just thought, I'll just, just behave myself. So it's only the second day into the course. And, I, and, you know, there was a little room you could make coffee, you know, coffee or whatever, and then go back to your desk and, and do whatever. And I slipped out there and I'm just making myself a coffee. And I'm all by myself in this. And I'm looking over and suddenly I become aware. You know, you get that feeling that someone's looking at you. And I had the feeling someone's looking at me. So I look up and I see at the door, there's the lady who's running the course. And she's leaning on the door and she's looking at me, just staring at me. So I looked up and said, can I help you? (laughs) So she says to me, "Um, so what is it that you do then? It's obviously something very important. So I said, whatever makes you say that? She says, I don't know. She says, it's just something about you. So I said to her, I kind of looked past it from her. I went like this and I said, come a bit closer. <laughs> she came a bit closer to me. She said, oh, really, really? I said, yeah, I did. No, you promise you won't tell anybody? She said, I promise. I promise. I, I said, I just looked over her shoulder and I said, I said you're absolutely certain now. You're not going to tell anyone. She said, I promise your, your, your secret's safe with me. You know, this. So I said, well, I said, come a bit closer. I, took this I said, I'm an ambassador. She said, oh, really? An ambassador? She said, oh, she said, how exciting. She said, I don't mean to pry or anything. She said, I, I hope you don't mind. Said, you know, what, what, what nation do you represent? <laughs> I said, well, you did ask. I said, I actually represent the kingdom of heaven. Sorry. <laughs> and, then I, and then I was in there telling her about Jesus. I never did finish that course. I was just, every time I came in, everybody was asking questions and I was sharing the gospel with this one, that one or the other. You know, just. But this, actually, this is the thing, is that there is an atmosphere around us when we walk with Jesus of his presence, of his love, of the Holy Spirit. And you know, 
They were called Christians, Christians. Sometimes it's not quite that spiritual as that moment was. Sometimes it's immensely practical. One time I was running on my way to, you're running from one ministry appointment to another and I just quickly had to pop in and get some lunch on my way. And, and so as I was running up the high street, I popped into the Kingdom Faith Center, otherwise known as KFC. And I popped in there <laughs> and I sat down to have some, and, and I got my food and then I, I popped down there and I saw that uh, sitting on this long kind of bench there, there was, there was a bit of mess from the last person who had been there. So I just cleaned that up and I put it in the dustbin and I sat down to eat my food. As I'm sitting down to eat my food, I looked along the way and just about three, four seats along, there's no one else there, there's a, uh, a Nigerian fella and he's quite fairly smartly dressed, looks like a business guy and he's sitting there and he's just tucking into his dinner. And I looked up at him, he looked at me for a moment, and I caught his eyes. Well, I caught his eyes, the eyes of the wind of the soul. I could just see Jesus in him. And I, so I just looked at him, and I, I said, sir, I said, you know the Lord, don't you? And he looked at me, he said, yes, I do. He said, how did you know that? I said, I could see him in your eyes. And he looked at me, he said, and I know you know the Lord too. And I said, yeah, I do. I said, how did you know that? I was hoping he was going to say, I saw Jesus in your eyes. But he didn't. <laughs> he did. I said, because I noticed you cleaned up someone else's mess that wasn't your own. He said, it impressed me. Well, I mean, I was just raised that. It's just normal. But the thing is, not everybody does that stuff nowadays, isn't it? People are watching us. We are salt and light to our world. And sometimes it's not just a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's just a practical act of love. Serving people, loving people, helping people. But don't leave it there. That's a bridge, but it's not the message. They have to hear the message in order to be saved. Don't just leave it with praying for them either. Pray for the message. Pray this prayer regularly that Paul prayed, Colossians 4.2. Pray for me that the Lord would open an effective door for the word. It's a regular prayer in my life. Father, please open effective doors for me for the word to share the gospel with people. And please open my eyes to see what you're doing. I'll step out, Lord, in faith, as long as you make it clear to me. Now, if that's your prayer, you watch what Jesus will do with your life. It's exciting. But look, we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Look, let's look at what Jesus declared as his purpose. You know, there are many things that Jesus declared as his purpose. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. But here in Luke 4, this is what they call the, the Messiah's mandate. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to Nazareth, his own hometown. He stands up in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He's handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. We know it as Isaiah 61. And he reads out what Isaiah prophesied, which was declaring himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor. You know, here at the beginning of 2020, why don't we make this as a declaration to one another? I want you to turn to each other today and just say this to somebody. Say to them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. If you're sitting by yourself, say it over yourself. But say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Say to them, He's anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent you to heal the brokenhearted. 
to proclaim liberty to captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Say it after me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I receive it. I accept your call, Lord. I am anointed for your purpose. Use me, Jesus. Amen. It is powerful. So this is the anointing for purpose. To preach good news to the poor. You know, this last year we went to Slovakia in Eastern Europe. To give you a little bit of idea what some of the guys get up to. We're doing a mission there in a particular town. And um, so a number of our evangelists, some will be here uh, next month. Some took some of our interns, guys in training. And uh, I went off down to one of the streets, one of the back streets where a lot of the gypsy community lived. And uh, they went, uh, it was a hot summer's day, so they found some of the kids on the streets. They took out a guitar and they started to play games with them. And they started to sing songs and worship and praise. A crowd began to gather of all different ages. And then the fellas began to just share the gospel with them. And they started to pray for people. And as they prayed for people, people started getting healed. Well, as people got healed, one little boy suddenly ran into um, his parents' home. And he said, Mom, Dad, bring little, we'll call him little Johnny. I don't know his exact name. But he said, bring little Johnny out, out here. He said, there's some, there's some preachers from England. They're out here. They're praying for people and they're getting healed. Well, his younger brother was five years old and was born with a club foot. And so the foot was crunched up and turned around at 90 degrees like this. And, uh, and they couldn't do anything for him. So they said, bring him out. Maybe Jesus will do something for him. And they brought their little boy out and they came up to, to, to a couple of our evangelists and they took the little boy into their arms and they prayed for the little boy and in front of everyone, the foot just uncrunched and came around and was perfectly formed. As a result of it, just everybody, there was just, you could hear a pin drop, tears start to flow, 46 gypsies give their lives to Jesus. This is preaching the gospel to the poor. You all look a little bit shocked. Is this, is this all right? It is all right, whether you think so or not. But, but can I say, this is, this is the kind of, so this is preaching the gospel to the poor. Healing broken hearts, setting captives free. I put those two together because I've found through the years that very often those things go together. You ever involved helping people out of addictions and bondages, you find that it's nearly always, whatever it is, whatever form of addiction, not just drugs and alcohol, there are many other immoral addictions and other issues in people's lives, but so much of it, people are trying to self-medicate some pain deep on the inside, they're looking for comfort in all the wrong places. And Jesus wants to set people free. But if you just get rid of the demonic, it's a bit like getting the dirt out of a wound. If you don't heal the wound, the demonic goes out the front door and back in, in the back door. Worse. So that's why Jesus comes to heal broken hearts as well as to set people free. I can't remember whether or not I shared. I'd just come back from Argentina when I last was here sharing with you. But I remember the lady in the park, you know, we prayed for... One guy with crutches, yeah, and he got healed. I think I shared some of that with you. But there was a lady in the park there, you know, who 
her partner had abused her and abused her, her daughter, eventually kidnapped her daughter and murdered her. She was tragic stuff. Prayed for her, took a long time, sharing with her in the love and the grace of God, touching her heart. But she was riddled with arthritis. The Bible says bitterness dries the bones. And so we just started to share with her. She came to a place with the help of the grace of God. She could make the choice. And she made the choice to forgive the man who murdered her daughter. All the time I held her in my arms and prayed for her. She sobbed and dealt with all this. I felt heat of God's power, his healing power going into her body as she forgave. But you know what? I didn't even ever pray for a healing. But when she finished with the forgiveness and she gave her life to Jesus, suddenly after that, you know, I said, oh, why don't you just try those hands now in your joints? And she just beamed. All the pain had gone. Even the knots had disappeared. She was healed and set free. She walked away saying to me, John, I came to you in rage. I'm leaving with love and peace and joy. She says, that's amazing. I said, that's Jesus. And she went, no way. And it is, it's the Lord. But this same anointing is on you, is on me. Once we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, 1 John, John put it this way in 1 John 2.20, you have received an anointing from the Holy One. That anointing abides in you, verse 27 says. It remains in you. There's times when you may, may feel weak. There's times when you feel strong. There's times you feel anointed. There's times that you don't. But the anointing is always there. If it's not on you at a particular moment, it's in you always. And can be released through faith. So we have to build our faith. But brothers and sisters, once we've received the Holy Spirit, we can release the Holy Spirit through our faith. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. This year is going to be an amazing year in so many people's lives. Just think if everyone here led someone to Jesus and started to disciple them this year. You'd be in two services. <laughs> yeah. That's not so hard. One person to Jesus and discipled. Think about that. Wow, great aim. Let's make it our aim in 2020 to walk with Jesus in his harvest. It is his harvest and we are laborers co-working with him. Amen. Amen. What a privilege to be called into that. And so I want to close by just saying this today. The greatest thing, greatest reason, of course, why Jesus came, he said the son came to seek and to save that which is lost. Isn't it great to know Jesus isn't a, he's just, he's not inactive. He's not purposeless, he's purposeful. He seeks people. He's seeking you. He seeks people out there. He's active in our world. He's not like some people think God created the world. And This is what Darwin believed, by the way. Darwin was never an atheist. Any atheists out there, you know, you ever talk to who think that Darwin was an atheist? He never was. They don't know their history. Darwin believed in God, but he believed that God created the world and then stepped back and let everything happen as a process. Our Bible doesn't say that. 
Uh, the Bible tells us God is involved in his world. He created the world by the word of his power and upholds it with the word of his power. And he is active in the world out there, reaching people all the time. And he wants to do it through you and me. Let me tell you, before you talk to anyone, God's already there. He's ahead of you. But he wants you to get involved. He wants to use you. Isn't that a privilege? Total privilege. I've led people to Jesus. I led one guy to the Lord up in Liverpool. Sorry, Wigan. Just a year or two ago. I remember I was praying before going out. I saw this guy in the long black leather jacket and, you know, with all of this, all the gear. One of the goth type fellas. And I saw in his hand one of those monster drinks. I saw it in prayer. And the Holy Spirit gave me a word for him. I came out of the church and I saw him walking her down the street. He was walking right there. Just I'd seen him in prayer and there he was. And so I ran down the street after him. And I stopped him and he looked at me and said, what's all this about? I said, hey, relax, mate. I said, don't worry, I'm not going to hit you or anything. I said, this is going to seem a bit weird, but I saw you in a vision this morning with your black leather and your monster drink. He looked at me and says, what? I said, yeah. I said, Jesus spoke to me about you. He wants to heal you. You've got a problem in your back. He looked at me and said, this is really weird. <laughs> he said, I left my house today and strangely, he said, this has never happened to me in my life. A feeling came all over me. I knew something like this was going to happen to me today. And I said, right. I said, you got a problem with your back? He said, yeah. I said, I bet it comes out. You've got one leg short than the other. See the way you walk? He said, yeah. I said, look, sit down here on the bench. We prayed for him and there, right in the open square, the leg grew out. His back was healed. He broke down in tears, gave his life to Jesus. Fantastic. But Jesus was seeking that man. Jesus wasn't put off by all the goth stuff. He's not put off by the makeup or by the clothes. He's not, even, he's not put off by the foul language. He's not put off by any of it. He sees the heart. He loves people. He loves you. Maybe you're here today and you say, John, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I don't know him personally. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven or that I'm going to make it to heaven. But I want to be sure. I want to know God. I don't, I'm not interested in just a, a dead, boring religion. I want the living God. I want to know if this God is who he says he is, he's worth knowing. I want to know him. I need forgiveness. If that's you, right where you are right now, I'm going to ask you to take a courageous step right now. I'm going to ask you just to put your hand up right there. Just do it like that. If that's you, just say, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. For a first time, or say, all right, God bless you, sir. Fantastic. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? You say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. So somebody, all right, God bless you, mate. Wonderful. Anybody else you need to make a recommitment of your life to the Lord? You say, you know what, John? I know I've just been living a very passive kind of Christian life. I'm not really walking with the Lord in following him as a disciple. I, and, and I want to. I want to get right online in the purpose of following Jesus. If that's you, anybody else? I'll just raise your hand, join these guys here. Right? Bless you, 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 bless you. Fantastic. Look, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to ask if we can have our, our great worship band back, please, for a few moments. And I'm going to ask uh, that if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to take your courage in your hands and get up from your seat. I'm going to ask us all to stand. It'll be helpful. But if you, have, if you raised your hand or you know that you should have done, will you make your way forward here, please? I'd love to pray for you for a few moments before we end the service. Just find your way to the front. People will gladly make room for you to be able to get out into the aisles. God bless you so much. Bless you. Well done.